0: Sunday at church we had a problem with the SD card in the camera, and I didn't record my message a lot of times when we do that We just let the message Go into the ether, but um, we're starting a brand new series of teach Sin and I wanted to be able to put this on our website, so I thought I'd just reteach it real quick here on Facebook live um, Hopefully I can remember what I said <laughs> And uh, do a good job No uh what we're doing is this series of teaching um, to try to help us uh get free and walk in greater freedom as as Christians um, I think that sometimes hearing the messages about sin you, you immediately feel anxiety or condemned or something about that that's not what these messages are God loves you regardless of um, your situation and um you don't need to feel bad about what's going on in your life. Condemnation and shame aren't strategies to overcome sin. Praise God. Um, the, the thing is, is that uh, what we want to do is figure out how to walk in victory. Um, and moreover, when we say overcome sin, Romans 3.23 says that sin is, uh, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, What that means is that we've all fallen short of the standard. Sin isn't just some direct act of disobedience to a commandment. It's when we're living at a level that what's less than God created us to be. For example, um, you know, God created us to be full of joy. Hallelujah. Uh, There's lots of times in my life when I fall short of that glorious standard. That doesn't mean that I've directly disobeyed a commandment of God, although there are commandments to rejoice in the Lord always, Um, but it doesn't mean that God's mad at me or that he's about to pour his judgment or wrath out on me or something like that, but we could say that it's sin in the sense that it's not living up to the glorious standard. We're also commanded to be thankful in every circumstance, and uh, I know that I've fallen short of that as well. The question is, what do we do about it? In church, we're often told that we ought to do certain things. You ought to quit sinning. You ought to live righteous. You ought to witness to people. You ought to uh, pray for the sick. You ought to do whatever. But ought to messages, um, while they can be motivational, if we don't have clear strategies about how to do them, uh, we end up just going into legalism and trying to accomplish what we to do through self-effort. So that's not what this series is going to be. It's going to be a bunch of clear uh, explanations about how to actually overcome sin. You can use these same principles to overcome things like anxiety, fear. You can use it to. Um, uh, I'm I'm doing it to coach myself uh, to stress out less. Hallelujah, because I don't I'm not a stressed out person. In the name of Jesus, I don't need to be controlled by worry about different things that are going on. In in My life so even if you don't have some sort of chronic sin issue where you're directly disobeying a commandment I think that these teachings can be helpful to you. So I would encourage you to to listen to them Um, It can also help you if you struggle, you know with like some kind of thing like weight loss or something and you want to have more self-control and understand how to um, get your body uh, right and all that kind of stuff so uh, anyway, before we get into the first principle, uh, I took a brief aside Sunday, and I'll do the same thing today, to point out that the Scripture does summon us to overcome sin. Um, this is, I think, obvious in most Christian circles now, because uh, there are and have been throughout history people that will turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's what Jude one four says. The modern term for that is called hypergrace. I don't particularly like the term hypergrace because it gets wrongly applied to a lot of ministers that I um, have studied under and, and love and admire. Uh, it's not hyper grace to tell people that all their sins are forgiven, even the ones they haven't committed yet. It's not hyper grace to tell people that they don't have to confess all of their sins um, to go to heaven uh, or do some other sort of legalistic activity to get into heaven um, or to make God love you or to earn his blessings. None of that is hyper-grace. That's the gospel. The truth is God loves you regardless of what you've done and that Jesus secured all the blessings of God for us. What hyper-grace is, is when you take that message that I just said there and then you say, well, so just go do a bunch of Hilton sin if you want to. Um, uh, first of all, I, I haven't met any of the people that are saying that. I assume that that they are out there, but I do um, I, I, Personally, think that the fear of that is probably overblown in our society and it wasn't overblown in previous societies, but it would appear to me in the Western church in America that legalism remains um, a much bigger problem than does um, hyper grace. But anyway, so we don't like either of those ditches. Uh, uh, we don't want to try to earn things from God or impress God with our righteousness, but at the same time, we don't want to use his grace as an excuse to live in sin or uh, do a bunch of fleshly carnal stuff. We want to live for God. Amen? So uh, the first principle for how to overcome sin is really simple, and it is that you want to learn to believe that sin is not your identity and that your old man is dead, like really dead. Um, So the scripture for this is Romans 6, 1 through 3. I'll read it real quickly. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? If you skip to verse six, it says, "Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, our old man is crucified with Jesus." That's really good news. The old uh, sinful part of you that uh, compelled you to, to sin, that um, that corruption that came to you, that was passed down to you from Adam. That part of you was cut away by Jesus when you accepted Him as your Savior. You were co-crucified with Jesus. Um, So that's really good news, and I've I've taught that a lot. It's it's important to recognize that you're not pretending that your sin nature is dead. It really is dead. Somebody once told me to just pretend that my sin nature was dead and everything would probably work out all right. Um, And I, I, I liken that to saying that Um, There's a big difference, you you know, if you have a snake in your house, which is sort of like the sin nature, there's a a big difference between the snake actually being dead and you pretending uh, that the snake is dead. Now, I mean, if you pretend that the snake is dead and you just ignore it, um, it it might be okay for most of the time, but at some point you might step on that thing and then it's going to bite you and then something, you know, then it's not going to be good. Um, and that's a lot of times I think how Christians are, uh, they'll, they'll, and then they'll sin. That's like the snake biting you. And, um, and, and they'll assume it was their sin nature because they don't think it's really dead. But the truth is your sin nature is really dead. The snake's dead. So if you sin, it's not because of your sin nature. It's because you, you, um, uh, have a bad habit. You have a wrong way of thinking. You made a mistake. Uh, sorry about the dinging. That that means the stock market's closed. So anyway, hopefully we made some money. But uh, uh, anyway, I just do that for, for fun. But so the deal is, though, what actually is the old man? What is the old man? What's it mean that he's dead? Uh, this is a really a pretty difficult theological question, because the question is, what what is the sin nature? Like, what's it actually about? And uh, I I did a whole bunch of research about this recently, and it's it's a it's it's a pretty complex issue. I don't uh, pretend to have the full understanding of of all that. Um, you know, is it a, is it a disease? Is it because of our finitude? Is it a whole? There's a whole lot of stuff that's been written about it that really it, it amounts to a lot of speculation um, because. Uh, it's, it's hard to know a lot of that stuff, but, um, the big question is, is like how much of our being is corrupted by sin, right? Because when I was growing up, the first thing I heard about my sin nature was that, well, it was in my body because, because Paul talks about your flesh all the time and how you have these lusts of the flesh and the flesh is bad and you got to resist the flesh and, and whatever and so I, I took that to mean that my physical body was the locus of the sin nature and uh, a lot of people start there and in, in, in their theology and there's a um, Anyway, so there's a whole theological camp about that, but then then There's the real realization that it's not just that our bodies are Corrupted I mean, um, you know, certainly we're gonna die. We're all mortal But our souls are messed up too, meaning that our mind, our will, and emotions uh, also appear to be messed by sin. It's not just that man sins, it's that man wants to sin, um, you know, prior to conversion, prior to knowing Jesus. And then so then people say, well, no, the, the sin nature isn't in your body, it's in your soul, it's in your mind, your will, and emotions. But then people think, well, no, but that can't be right because it's got to be a spiritual disease because we've been spiritually separated uh, from God, Isaiah 59, and, and our iniquities have separ- separated between us and God. And, and so there's this age-old question, is, is the sin nature, is it primarily spiritual or is it fleshly? Is it in our spirit, our soul, or our body? And as I've searched the scripture and searched historical theology, um, the the answer to those questions is yes. Um, the, the sin nature actually is a whole man. The reason Paul calls it the old man is it's an entire identity, an entire false identity that, that came because of sin, and it affects and influences our whole being, our spirit, soul, and body. I'll read you two scriptures. Well, actually, I'll... I'll quote one so uh, jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart is desperately wicked the heart and in the old testament um the heart at least in that context has to in some way mean mean my my inner will my emotions the things that i want then also in second corinthians 7 and verse 1 it says <clears throat> that we are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Uh, And if you, there's a whole bunch of script, if you just Google total depravity scriptures, there's just, it's pretty depressing. Um, There's just a whole bunch of scriptures about how uh, all of humanity, uh, all of our being has been corrupted by uh, sin. Now, (laughs) um, before I explain why that's actually good news, I want to point out something that I, I, I think I didn't fully understand very good until recently, which is that even though uh, we've been corrupted by sin, the, uh, the imagio Dei um, in humanity has been marred, but it has not been destroyed. And that's an important thing to understand. That explains why um, we see such beauty and creativity in the human race, despite the fact that we also see such evil. Um, There are lots of people in the world that do creative, beautiful, loving things that are not Christians, that don't know God, that don't know Jesus. Why? How are they able to do those things? I'm not saying they're on their way to heaven or that they've that they've earned um, the favor of God or something like that. What I'm saying is is that um, there remains the the uh, shadow of the image of God inside every person, and so we're all created in His image, and so we're all still valuable uh, and in that sort of thing. This is this is again why there's creativity in the world and beauty. humanity it's also interesting to note uh, if if you um, and things like that that uh, the human spirit this proverb says that a broken spirit dries the bones the human spirit exerts an influence over the physical body this is true whether you're Christian or not my wife's a physical therapist any medical doctor any physical therapist will tell you that a patient with a broken spirit, a patient that's that's emotionally compromised, that is, um, uh, you know, given up hope, that person, even though they might have a very low uh, level illness or level low level injury or something, they're going to have a far harder time recovering than a person whose spirit is spirits are up. We would say who's full of hope and believing to get better, and that's a true principle whether you know Jesus or not. Um, it's also true that, that sometimes you hear about medical, like miracles, we wouldn't call them actual miracles, but you would hear a story about somebody that was in a car wreck or they injured themselves or or whatever, and, and, and the, the medical realm said, well, you're never gonna be able to walk again. And they, through through the indomitable human spirit, the act of will, they went ahead and walked again because they're like, bless God, no, I am gonna walk. I'm gonna go after it. And, and we'd say, wow, they, they, that's like a, a, a healing. And it's like a, I would say like a low level healing. It's not like a supernatural healing. It didn't draw on uh, the power of the Holy Spirit or something like that. But the human spirit is still in some way supernatural and it still can affect change on the physical body. So I think that that's an important thing to note. Humans are, uh, human nature is is fundamentally good and fundamentally estranged. Um, uh, Olson, uh, what's his name? Gregory Olson, that, that doesn't sound right. But anyway, <laughs> this guy whose book I read said that. Uh, it, it's, it's a good way, way of saying it. We're created in God's image, um, but that image has been marred and it's been corrupted. And then, of course, there's a debate about to what degree it's been corrupted, and I'm not, I'm not going to engage in that um, currently. Uh, so The deal is, though, if um, your sin nature has corrupted your whole being and it's influenced, it's got its tendrils, if you will, into your spirit, soul, and body, That's actually really good news because what it means is that if you cut it away, which is what the scripture says, that likewise affects your whole being. Let's look at uh, Colossians 2. Actually, let's just read the one in Galatians. That's easier. Galatians 5. 24. Colossians 2:11 says that you've been circumcised; that your old man's been cut away. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Well, this Bible has too many notes. All right. There's Ephesians, Galatians 5, and verse 24 says they. Th- they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Okay, so he says there that the um, flesh has been cut away, and if you read all the scriptures about that, it's it's been cut away, it's been done once, it's not an ongoing process. Thank God, any guy will tell you that, thank God, circumcision is not an ongoing process. It's a one-time event. So th- there's a one-time event where your old man is cut away, and it's cut away in totality, which means that its, it's tendrils have to be cut out of your whole being. Um, so I'm going to try to show – well, I thought I was going to try to show a video or show a, a picture It won't let me do it, I don't know. I'm not a techno person, apparently. But anyway, I was gonna show you this video, or this picture, all right? And so it had three, they had like a a circle for your your spirit, circle for your soul, and a circle for your body. Hebrews 4.12 says that the, uh, that the the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing sh- asunder that soul and spirit. The-